This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined as ever by my co-host, David Hughes. Dave, how's things? Yeah, very good, thank you mate. Looking forward to the show. You look like you're in uh, heaven a little bit there. Like yeah, well, white yeah. background and all this, little <laughs> halo above your head. Uh, tactical, that is. Tactical. <laughs> yeah, unlike yeah, myself. I think we're um, getting this room painted, actually, this week. Yeah, I so think we, we, most of our listeners are uh, our listeners anyway. I don't think we have as many viewers. Um, those who do viewers every week, you know, fair play, your choice. <laughs> <I don't know laughs> Considering the kip offers. Yeah, um, I think it was it was all right in the studio, wasn't it? But since we've been on these like Skype, Google Hangouts, you're there, not getting the best view. But as you said, whatever floats your boat, if you enjoyed, then go for it. Yeah, fewer haircuts as well. Yeah. Um, so this week, anyway, and last and field wise, we are going to address what happened against Southampton. Nice little win. We're going to look briefly ahead to Man United because we, as I said, you know, we did preview that a few weeks ago. Even though it's, we're just going to touch on maybe what's changed a little bit in the, in the meantime since. Uh, we're also going to look at West Brom, but again, fairly briefly, because the, to be quite honest, they're not the most interesting team. Um, it should be, it should, you know, this is COVID season, but it should be a relatively straightforward win. But we'll get to that anyway. And just as a, a bit of an optional add-on, Considering it seems to be trending a little bit at the moment, me and Dave are going to do a Monday night football style um, season picks. So, obviously, those who watch Monday night football will have seen Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher conduct theirs recently. There was obviously a bit of debate around and stuff, plenty of tweets and things. So, we're going to get into that, just our, our picks and that sort of thing, a bit of fun. Um, but first of all, Dave, uh, Southampton. Use it the game thoughts. Uh, yeah, I thought it was a slow start, um, which is something we spoke about, didn't we? At the time, uh, the pool just looked to lack a little bit in terms of intensity, um, but maybe a yard off the usual pace. But then, you know, after about maybe 20, 25 minutes, started growing into it, um, started looking the better side, and you know, beyond, although Southampton obviously had chances, uh, I thought Allison was Allison was really strong in the game. Uh, he pulled off those two really good saves, didn't he? Ju- just prior to the to the opening goal, um, thought you know either side of that, uh, Liverpool were the better side. I'm not saying it was a fantastic performance by any means, but I do think Liverpool were the deserving winners on the day. Yeah, it was a strange one for me because uh, you know I'm I don't usually get too carried away early on, but I think it was maybe about 15, 20 minutes in. I think I sent you a message, Dave, and just said, uh, is it just me or do we look really, what's the word? I don't know, just a bit a bit flat, uh, considering we haven't we hadn't played for a few days. It was our own field, we had something to play for. We were against the team that were a little bit on the ropes. I thought Liverpool's intensity coming into the game was a little bit lacking. Uh, I expected a little bit better. And I do think that Liverpool deserves to win the game. But yeah, just just the way the match played out a little bit, I I just expected 
Liverpool to, to offer a little bit more. Um, maybe I'm asking a bit too much there. I mean, beforehand we predicted, I think it was 3 0 each. We predicted it finished 2 0, which I suppose isn't far off. But yeah, I just think performance wise, I thought Liverpool would um, just look a bit faster, a bit of a quicker tempo, a bit hungrier. But then again, Dave, I don't know if you've seen the numbers, but I suppose what I'm saying isn't really captured in the numbers because the numbers look relatively fine. Yeah, it looks like uh, I did have a look this morning because I knew we'd be talking about it today on the show and I had looked since the game. Um, and I was a little bit surprised, to be honest, uh, because based on, obviously, expected goals, shots, etc., um, you, you're looking at a fairly reflective scoreline. Maybe you could argue Southampton should have had a goal uh, it should maybe closer to a 2-1 win or 2-1 kind of performance. Uh, but yeah, you know, that ties in pretty much with, with what we what we're saying. That, you know, Liverpool are the better side without being fantastic um and deserving of, of the win, I guess, on the day. Yeah, the expected goals on the day was Liverpool 2.2, which is good. You know, that's that's that probably is in the neighbourhood of what I expected going into the game. Maybe just the whole eye test thing just felt a little bit different. Uh, and Southampton had next year 1.3, which, you know, as you just said, it would have probably been enough on a normal day to score at least once. But obviously, we had Allison in goal. Um, on the other side, the, the shot count was a little bit more even. Liverpool had 14 shots. Southampton had 12. So that's not too far from you have a goal, we have a goal, really. And that's kind of the type of thing that you want to avoid. Um, but I felt like the shots that they did generate, it felt like we kind of gave them away. We kind of just presented them with those opportunities rather than them being really created by, by Southampton as a team, if you see what I mean. Mm, yeah, yeah, I agree. I think um try and think of a moment in the first half I think it was the first half, maybe it was the second, where it was just given away really cheap in defence, or maybe Allison gave it away actually. Which, um, you know, I really like Allison. I thought he was fantastic uh, for large parts on Saturday, but uh, I, I think sometimes because of the role he's given, um, he can be susceptible maybe to the odds kick like that, where puts you under a little bit of trouble. He had one of them. Uh, I think there was a few of few of those moments. But then they've just been a theme of Liverpool all season, haven't they? Really, there's just there's just not this same kind of security that they've, they've had, uh, and I guess a lot of that ties in with the players who are missing. You know, the key players who kind of bring that cool, calm, collective presence to to the side, and without them, the players who come in just don't replicate it the same. Um, you know, like Reese Williams playing again, um, still a lot to ask of him, isn't it, to come into the side and be like a, a top performer. Um, so, you know, all, all those things considered, I think he's done quite well. Yeah, you mentioned Alisson there. I had a look at his numbers uh, yesterday, actually, and he's one of the the few Liverpool players that's actually performing beyond what you'd expect from, I suppose. So in terms of, you know, expected goals, similar to how we've referenced finishing in the past few weeks, Alisson's overperforming, really, in, in the saving department. So you, using... Post shot expected goals, which 
you know, in essence, really, I'll, I'll, I'll use the, the description of it on the site. It just says, positive numbers suggest better luck or an above average ability to stop shots. Whereas negative numbers, obviously, uh, suggest the opposite. Allison so far this season has saved about 5.3 goals more than the shots that he's faced on target have been worth. So, um, you know, he saved Liverpool about five, six goals there because of his ability to stop shots beyond what you'd expect. Uh, for a bit of perspective, that's the third best in the league. Um, top of the league is Ariola at Fulham. He's saved 7.5 shots above expectation. And then you've got Emmy Martinez, who's saved 7.2 goals above expectation. At the complete opposite end, you have Alex McCarthy, who obviously didn't play against Liverpool. He was on the bench, but he's underperformed by 6.1 goals. Carl Darlow's down there for Newcastle. Rui Pasicio at Wolves. So that is one area that Liverpool have been able to... That, that's one area that I suppose a, a favour has been given to Klopp. You know, Klopp's had generally his players doing the opposite of doing favours for him this season by um, not not performing to expectation, but Alisson has performed beyond that. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I actually, yeah, when we were talking before, I actually forgot that we'd said on Saturday that um, although we both agree, um, Liverpool. You know, performance-wise, they did did edge you. I say in my in my opinion, but I think it was a really good thing that that we said afterwards that you know it it, it was a kind of tale of two goalkeepers as well, wasn't it? When you look at the performance on the night, because although he he didn't do anything stand out, wrong or an error, I think Fraser Forster just didn't look anywhere near the same level and. When you both when both teams are creating chances like it happened on Saturday, um, sometimes it can be you know like one player, a goalkeeper that makes a difference on the results. And uh, I think at least from the pool point of view, that was the case on Saturday. But you know maybe it could be argued it was the same from uh, Southampton point of view as well, but just for the for the wrong reasons. Yeah, I actually flagged Fraser Forster at the end of the game too, didn't I? I thought he was uh, a bag of nerves to be honest. The way his distribution in particular, he did not look comfortable whatsoever. And then when it comes to the goalkeeping side of things, where you'd like to think he'd make up for it, I don't think he did either. This season, he's underperformed expectation by about 1.8 goals. Not not too much, but still an underperformance. Mm. And he hasn't played think... a ton, though, has he either? That's important to know, isn't No, that? no, no, that's true. Um, and I think specifically, you know, the Mane goal, there's, there's that old unwritten rule isn't it? the, the six-yard boxes the goalkeepers so even though it was a great pass by Salad and stuff it, it's the kind of ball that you want a half-decent goalkeeper to claim to be honest um, and I, th- I feel sorry for Harsen because he keeps saying we have we, we can rotate between the two when you have two top goalkeepers but what, what he essentially means really is we've got two bad goalkeepers we've got no mm. one good enough to keep the spot yeah problem because pool had for years to be honest yeah, because I never believed that with rotation. I've never known a an example of a team rotating really excellent keepers. And the, that's been the, the club official line or the line from the manager. But even if I think of like Real Madrid's and PSG's who've done that over the years when they've had 
you know, like it, say like Cassius and, so, and someone else coming through. It's always when he's been maybe on, in moments when he's been on a downward trajectory career-wise and someone else is coming up and that's when the rotations come in or Buffon, for example, at Juve where he was getting rotated and out, but it wasn't because Buffon's still the elite of the elite. It's because, you know, it's Buffon and you, you still don't want to just kind of chop him. But yeah, I just feel like even Everton this year, Everton was a good example, you know, when Pickford was having a bad time midway through the campaign. Uh, although he hasn't, been, he obviously hasn't been playing well for a while. Uh, Ancelotti was saying this kind of thing, but the reality was they had Pickford there, who was struggling. Olsen, who's not a fantastic goalkeeper, but he's probably average. And the idea is, you know, he's, he's kind of chopping from the two, open that one, performed it. And, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But I think if you've got a really good keeper, like he's trying to say, then that keeper plays every week because you don't want to be chopping and changing it. Exactly. You know, our, our next opponent, I suppose, fits into this bracket, you know, in terms of Manchester United. Mm. But again, it stems a little bit from De Gea having a bit of a decline, really. Yeah. Coming to the back end of his career. We'll get to United, but uh, just before, I think it's, we should probably flag that Thiago scored, <laughs> uh, which obviously means now that he's the best player ever, because that was his biggest yeah. issue, wasn't it? Apparently he weren't scoring enough. <laughs> yeah, I can I can hear BBC uh, BBC Sports Towers now rewriting some previous pieces. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I thought he I thought he played well and it, it was good to see him get his goal. And I think you could I know it's quite late in the season, but it'd be nice for him to now have a bit of a nice streak of form for, to end the season. I think you know against Newcastle he played really really well, absolutely dominated the game I thought. But then he obviously got substituted uh, against Southampton again played okay. And found a back of net. So hopefully for the final few games, particularly the next game, hopefully Thiago becomes a bit of a prominent figure. Yeah, I did one thing I have with Thiago though. Uh, I still just think off the ball, he just looks a bit. He, he doesn't look as sharp as I was expecting him to, or based mm. on what I'd seen, you know, for other sides, and maybe it's just because he's in this Liverpool team at the moment. Uh, but there was a moment where. The, I think it might be Stevens just kind of jog past him on in his own penalty area and just kind of carried the ball out. And I, I, I was actually laughing at it. I was thinking, well, it shouldn't be that easy for them. But I think the problem is Thiago probably can't press quite well when it's when it's all structured around him. But you know, if you kind of leave him to do that work on his own, it's not as if he's got an abundance of pace to to do that. So he can he can get he kind of made. He can be made to look more of a fool than he is, I think, in those moments. Um, but yeah, I just think it's, it's, it's. Yeah, I'm just flagging it. I, I think sometimes it's something I've noticed since he signed. That it's not always a cohesive as as I thought. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it, it reminds me of the um, the old Cruyff quote. I think he said uh, he he was getting interviewed, and Cruyff said, if this space that I'm in at the moment he said I'm the best defender in the world he said if you make me manage this whole garden on my own I'm the worst defender in the world mm. and I think Thiago this season a lot of the times he's been bypassed a lot of the times he's been forced to make a foul and stuff but I do think it stemmed from basically Liverpool's system being less cohesive um, easier to pro- progress through it's, it, it, it's something that I don't think will continue next season because I think Liverpool will become defensively better. They've got a few players back that have a proper pre-season. The press and should get a bit of a boost. So I think Thiago will be covered. But this season, of all years, 
I think has been a terrible time for Thiago to transition from German to English football. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's been a tough environment to go into, and I think if anything, you've been he's been caught cold a little bit because the you know the idea to start the campaign when he was coming in that it was going to be another really kind of dominant season with you know before players were lost, everything on paper looked like it was going to be a good, good another good season, and obviously I think. He's been caught cold by that. Plus, he's been injured as well. So, just these little things that you know put together become a you know can kind of impact uh, perceptions. Yeah, just on that as well. I was I was going to a fuzzy last week with with Gorsty, Paul Gorst, um, the Echo of Liverpool correspondent, and he, he he actually pointed out to me that he hasn't actually he's yet to play in. Liverpool's best team. He the, the closest he got to it was Goodison, but even at Goodison, Adrian was in goal, um, and that was the only time he played with Van Dijk from the start of a match, and that lasted about twenty minutes because Van Dijk left the pitch. Mm. So it, it is quite incredible when you actually delve into it and give him a fair analysis of his performances, just how different Liverpool have been um, compared to the Liverpool that Thiago was supposed to be joining. Uh, so you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what that's like next 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 year. I think we we flagged pretty early on how inclined Thiago was to give out give away a foul. Um, I do think his numbers have came down a bit. He's still top of the table for for Liverpool. He's still committing about two point five fouls per ninety. Um, second is Cater, third is Jota. So, yeah, it can be improved, but I do think he's he's the type of player. He's a bit like he reminds me a lot of Paul Scholes in terms of his style of play, but also how without the ball he was awful. <laughs> in like terms of in terms of his tendency to foul, I mean, you know, I don't mean awful as in stupid. I mean awful as in he'll put a foot in rash. Rash is probably the word, yeah. Um, but when you give him the ball and when you surround him with the right players, like for example, when Scholes was surrounded by the likes of Keane and Ferdinand and Stam and all that, he he, he ends up just bossing the game, you know. So yeah. I do think players like that are a bit more reliant on the product on the system around them to to perform. Yeah. Liverpool had yeah. that last season, not so much this season. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. But uh, in terms of Manchester United, then Dave. Yeah, um, I don't know about you. I I come out of the the Southampton game, despite the fact Liverpool won two 0 I come out of the Southampton game feeling more concerned about facing United than I was previously. Um, not sure if it was because of how Southampton did seem to progress through Liverpool fairly easily at times, and specifically the pace of the two centre backs that played, Reese Williams and Nat Phillips. Mm. But it, I, I come out of it feeling a little bit more concerned than normal. I'm not sure if I'm justified in thinking that. No, I do, I do, I, I do understand that to be honest, because um, I think Liverpool still look vulnerable. Uh, you know, kind of defensively without the ball. But you know, it's it's one thing looking quite vulnerable against Southampton's forward to. I can't actually remember who even played. I think Walcott played as an attacker, didn't he? Uh, Jay Adams. Nathan uh, Teller. Teller, yeah. So, you know, not 
And I mean, Walcott looks finished. If I'm being brutally honest, I hope, <laughs> I, hope I hope this never 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 comes across his path. This video, but um, <laughs> yeah, I think Tell is a good player. I think Che Adams also does does well in terms of what he offers. But then you think you come up against this United side who've got Cavani, Rashford, Greenwood, um, Fernandez, mm. the Pogba. You've got fantastic attackers, but I think what really stands out is it's a multifaceted attack. AKA just they've got a bit of everything in there with those players. You know, there's pace in there, the skill, uh, there's a clinical edge with the likes of Cavani. They, they just seem to have everything. And the, I feel like that attack will test any side across Europe. I do, you know, especially if they're on song. It's just not that you're playing them next in really well. In good form, I think the only positive caveat for Liverpool is playing three games in however many days. It is about five days, six days, something ridiculous like that. You know, will that take its toll? Um, we're recording, obviously, Tuesday. We haven't watched the Leicester game yet. It hasn't, it hasn't happened, so we don't know what the team selection was like there. Um, whether you'll rest players tonight and, and potentially, you know, because... Yeah, Liverpool fans might feel hard done to. I've seen a couple uh, on social media kicking off over it, but you could understand if he, if he rested a few tonight against Leicester and, and kept them for Liverpool because at the end of the day, Liverpool are one of the biggest rivals. It's a massive game, isn't it? And, you know, that they, they might do that. So we'll wait and see. But yeah, I, I, going back to your original point, Josh, I can see why you feel a bit apprehensive because. Uh, you know, probably United's best asset is the attack, and it looks really on form at the moment. Um, I mean, I'm just having a look now. They've scored in the three last three games alone, uh, eight, eleven goals. You know, stretch that to six games. You, it's had sixteen goals in six games. You know, it's a lot. Yeah, I just think the the way in which Southampton progressed through Liverpool, but maybe didn't really make use of. The situations that materialised because of quality reasons, maybe. I feel like United will. I feel like they've got the quality to make use of that. Um, mm. The number of shots Liverpool faced against Southampton was 12. Liverpool have only faced more than 12 twice this season. That was against Aston Villa when we got beat 7-2. That was just mm. a complete anomaly of a game, really. And against Brighton, we faced 13. So, the 12 that we faced against Southampton is quite a lot for Liverpool to face. And, uh, you know, as I just said before, the, the speed of the centre-backs in particular, when you think about the likes of Rashford and Greenwood, and, you know, they have got players who can play the passes to feed those players too. So, I think I think a big question going into this one that a lot of Liverpool fans are already debating is, you know, there's a bit of a fitness concern around Kabach. I'm not sure whether he's going to be fit or not. So what are you doing, Dave, in terms of Nath Phillips and Reese Williams or Nath Phillips and the Fabinho? But crucially, yeah. that results in taking Fabinho out the midfield, which, if you're looking back at the whole season, hasn't really been a fruitful decision whenever it's been mm. made. So what are you doing? Um, You know, in the last game at Old Trafford, did, yeah. did Williams play in that game? Yeah, and I know exactly what you're thinking because yeah. that's my that's my thought as well. Yeah, because that was a, basically a dry run of this game, and he didn't. He got I'm roast. really con- 
Yeah. Well, I <laughs> was going to say, I'm really conscious of going too far because, you know, he's a young lad. But, I mean, <laughs> you're not wrong. He, uh, he had a really tough game, didn't he? And you, and yeah. But the thing is, yeah. he, he had a really tough game, right? But without really doing much wrong, it was just he got roasted because of his level compared to the lad he was facing, you know, specifically Marcus Rashford. I'm thinking he's just a lot faster, a lot better at the minute. You know, Reese is a Reese is still a kid, so mm-hmm. it's not it's, it's no slant on him. It's just on that in that game, it felt like a mismatch to the extent that, in my opinion, it, it decided the contest really. Um, and as a result of that. He, he he could play. He could have his best game, but still get done in a number of instances, and they they, they can cost you games. So that that's so my it, tricky thing with it. Here's my thing, Josh. I agree, and I look and I think, okay, that game was back in the end of January, wasn't it? The, the mid to end of January. Had he been playing several games since then, you know, had he been playing week in week out, getting accustomed to this level? Most likely improving a lot as well. Then, then I'll probably probably be backing him. You know, to have another goal with this game. But since then, he played ninety minutes in a one 0 defeat to, to Fulham. Um, he played ten minutes against Arsenal, and then he obviously played a, a full ninety on the weekends. So he's only made three senior appearances since then, and you know, I, that to me says he's not going to be a better version of the play he was a few months ago. Um, Plus, I think it's easier to play a young lad next to a more experienced player. But Phillips is still, even though Phillips is doing quite well, he's still the young lad himself, isn't he? Maybe not in terms of his age, but in terms of his experience at this level, he's still quite young. So I get what you're saying. I think the Fabinho thing was, was probably not the right decision on the whole, but maybe for this game, I'd be inclined to probably play him in there. In sense enough. Yeah, yeah, it, it it is a big problem going into this game because if Fabinho does that and Klopp wants to stick with his four C three, the holding player will either be Thiago, who we've established isn't the best at covering extensive ground and Old Trafford's big, or Wijnaldum, who, you know, certainly based on the numbers over the past few years, he's not the most inclined to essentially do things <laughs> he kind of uh, he does a lot of the intangible stuff covers key areas and things like that but in terms of I suppose putting a foot in like Fabinho does I think when Alan's less inclined to do a bit of that basically so Klopp's got a bit of a, a conundrum, on his, ha- conundrum mm. on his hands there as to what he does because I don't think I think there's pros and cons to both both decisions there Um Purely based on what happened in the FA Cup, I would be really, really reluctant to play Reese Williams. Um, even if it means Fabinho going back in the back line, I'd like not to do that. Maybe you could play my album as a centre half, <laughs> but well, it's just you know, something that you know it's sticky. Yeah, you know, there's there's still a centre half there that was brought in in January that has another sniff. Uh, yeah, you don't give him a debut at all, Trafford, though, do you? No, I mean, I, no, well, no, that, but the point I get, I mean, I, I'm just double checking where we're at in terms of his injuries because if, if I know he has an injury, I don't know if that's what's kept him sidelined and he might still be injured now. Yeah, I think he is. Um, but you know, all I was going to say was 
if he is still injured, then fine. But if not, you know, had he been bedded in a little bit more, you would have had that extra centre-back uh, to choose from rather than going to Williams. Um, it, that's just a very bizarre sound. And that, that, that transfer is just very strange. Um, Sums up the season. Yeah, yeah, I think it does, actually. Um, oh, it is a headache for Klopp. It's definitely a headache. I'm, I'm glad I'm not making the decision because I think yeah. you're set, set up for the fall either way, aren't you? Yeah, it's not one of them. That's a nice problem to have, is it? It's one of no. it's it's one that kind of almost guaranteed just to sting you either way, and hindsight won't be kind either to uh, to any decision that he makes unless we win. Oh. Um, so we'll leave the old Stafford talk there because we you know we talked a lot about the game a few weeks back. So yeah, but we'll do a prediction though on on this one. So thoughts, Dave. Yeah, I, sorry to be negative to everyone listening, but I just can't see Liverpool win. Uh, I think maybe it's such a bizarre thing. We haven't been here in a few years where it feels like United are the stronger side, but it, that's how it feels at the moment, in my opinion, uh, all things considered. Uh, maybe you might get, maybe it might end up being a bit of a draw, you know, with uh, where both teams kind of cancel each other out. Um, you know what? I think I'm going to go for the score draw one one. Actually, I think uh, I think a score draw might be the might be the one here. I find it extremely difficult to preview this one, and the reason for that is because I've got no idea who's going to play in defence for Liverpool. I've got no idea who's going to play for United tonight, and I've got no idea who Solskjaer is going to play on Thursday against Liverpool, and how tired those players are going to be. You know, I've got no specific background in the sports science area and all that. So mm. it's a difficult one to preview. But looking at the two teams, United are just so much more practical at the minute. They're so, so much more effective at doing meaningful things than, than Liverpool. Liverpool are very well coached, you can see that. But at the same time, just um, lacking, a, particularly in attack when it comes to penetrating and offering that cutting edge. So... I think Liverpool might lose this one. Um, I think it might be 2-1 to United. But, you know, it's it's hard to say that without knowing the teams, you know, how tired they might be, things like that. It's difficult. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's been a t- such a tough season, not only for Liverpool just being like a jackal and hide uh, in terms of results, but it's been a really tough season just to predict what's going to happen. You know, it's been, it's been a really tough season to predict, but then also it's, Everything's kind of petered out on a whimper. You know, relegations done and dusted. Premier League's pretty much done and dusted. It's only really all if that's anything interesting, which kind of sums up the campaign. Yeah. Put it this way, I actually think if Liverpool was to start this game with Lindelof and Bay in centre half, I think Liverpool would be favourites to win for me. I'd probably have Liverpool down to win, but just just mm. that area in particular it just looks so much of a mismatch compared to, mm. you know, United scoring 11 goals in the last three games. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll see anyway. Um, and then we've got West Brom, Dave, who are already down. And it should be a should be an easy game, really, shouldn't it? Well, I don't yeah. want well, no, to sound like one of them. But... No, yeah. I mean, it, everything points to it should, but do you not find that relegated teams always have this weird kind of madness about them where they just, <laughs> you know, without that pressure and... Just weird things tend to happen when you come up against them. Uh, so I'm not tempting fate there, but 
I don't know. It, I, I, I guess it's just I'm forewarning. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean, and I think specifically Allardyce as well. Over the mm. past few years, whenever Liverpool have had any sort of weakness about them, Allardyce has been really, really good at exploiting that, and he just manages to sometimes leave matches against Liverpool with ha- having snuck some sort of points. And I'm not sure how, and I'm always thinking, how's he done that? Um, mm. So it, I probably wouldn't rule it out, to be honest. Since then, he's been relegated for the first time in his career. Um, I actually think he's been a little bit unfortunate because, uh, you know, some of the signs he made, I think, come in a bit late and he signed Snodgrass as well. He was clearly going to be his new set-piece man. You know, we get him, we, we know Allardyce gets goals from set-pieces and Snodgrass has been injured a little bit. Um, But they've got Matthias Pereira, Dave, who I think is is probably a bit, a bit likely to remain in the Premier League, do you think? Yeah, yeah, you know, he's a um, a good option on fancy football. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, he just he, he does he, he does good things, you know. He he, he contributes into in, in the attack and third. Uh, I think he's a good player technically. Um, how would you how would you feel out of incentive if Everton started chasing? Yeah, you know, I think he'd be a good move for an Everton or you know an equivalent side, maybe like a even like a West Ham if they don't keep Lingard after this summer. You know, just that kind of level European chasers because uh, I think he's, I think he's definitely got got that ability or looks to have it anyway. And you know, with some, how old is he? With I was going to say with some further development, but I can't remember how old he is. Uh, yeah, I'll check now, but something is telling me twenty four. Yeah, yeah. Well, just. 25. Just turned twenty-five. Just yeah. Uh, so crazy. Yeah. So you know, not even in his prime years. Yeah, I think he could. Uh, he could definitely be. You know, a, a, in a in a kind of top eight Premier League side next season. Yeah, I think he's a, he offers a bit of quality from set pieces as well. In fact, I think he scored two, didn't he, against Everton earlier in the season? Do you have to remind me? <laughs> no, I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, I think it was a crazy like five-two game or something, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think someone yeah. got sent off, didn't he? That was when Billich went, uh, went mad. Yeah, yeah, Gibbs it was. Gibbs got yeah, sent yeah. off. That's uh, bad tackle, actually, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and then he kind of said something like, as he was walking off, I'll do it again. <laughs> just <laughs> just get the stuff you'd expect to see down in the Power League and not uh, <laughs> on the Premier League game. I, yeah. I, I didn't realise Pereira had actually scored as many as 10 goals this season. Um, no, I didn't realise that either. For the relegated side, you know, that's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I think he's a, he's obviously a talent that Liverpool will have to watch out for. Yeah. You know, around set pieces with an Allardyce team as well. That's something you have to be, be careful of too. Mm. But other than that, uh, I can't see too many ways around how they cause more problems for Liverpool and Liverpool cause for them. I expect no. Liverpool to win this game. Um, I will say that the striker that they've picked up, I think he's coming in January, is a bit of a handful. And I'd like to have Kabach back by that game. Um, Phillips will be up for a fight, but, you know, he, he, he can put himself about that player, so... Which one is it? Is it... Dianya. Oh, is yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've just yeah. got him, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, predictions on that one, Dave? Yeah, same as yourself, I think. Uh, although Liverpool are going away, um, I just... Beyond, unless something crazy happened where they just pulled out some, you know, my performance and one thing I will say is West Brom beyond being a relegated side they have had those moments where they've just kind of produced these 
crazy result. Like I've got the results in front of me. That three all against Chelsea was a bit wild. Then they uh, beat Chelsea five two at Stamford Bridge. Um, they beat Southampton three nil. So you know they might they might have a, a bit of madness in them, but I think if if you if you pushed me now, I'd say yeah, I'm going for a comfortable uh, afternoon for Liverpool, maybe a three nil. Yeah, I think I'm going to say two nil. I would I wouldn't actually rule it out them scoring to be honest. Um, mm. But I, I think I'm going to go two nil on that one. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. But we'll move on anyway, trying to squeeze everything in. So we're going to go for our teams of the season, Dave. And we're going to do it in typical analysing Anfield fashion in terms of, I don't know Dave's team and he mm. doesn't know mine. So uh, should we get started? Yeah, you go first, because I feel like uh, you always give me the, the polite to go first. And Yeah, by the way, I pushed the uh, recording of this show 10 minutes back. You know, for people listening, uh, and that was purely because of the headache that this 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 gave me in terms of trying to pick me starting eleven. Um, and I'm still not a hundred percent on it, but we'll see how we go. Well, have you done four three three? No, I've uh, no, I've done a four two three one. Right, okay. Um, mm. we'll go position by position then. Yeah, because I still um, think we can we can still do that. You know, even with the, the slightly different formation. Yeah, there should be plenty of players that we've both got. So yeah. So in terms of your goalkeeper, mm. I will be disappointed if you haven't got the same keeper as me. This is a okay. fairly easy pick for me. Right. Uh, all day I've went Emmy Martinez. Uh, Emmy Martinez, yeah. All day. Yeah, yeah. There's no Just, debate for me. No, I know. Uh, I know the likes of uh, Carragher and Neville. I think well, I know one of them had Mendy, but. Martinez has just been, you know, leading every metric, hasn't he? He's just had a transformational impact on that on Villa. Yeah, I mean, he was a bargain signing anyway, but even his contribution, you know, we referenced earlier that he's overperforming in goal. He saved Villa about seven or eight goals, mm. and um, his distribution has been, been really good. He instigates counter attacks with how quickly he wants to release the ball after he's claimed it. Claims a fair few crosses as well, I think I'm right in saying. So, yeah. Top keeper, um, mm. having a good season. So left back again. I think this one's easy. Yeah, I've uh, I've gone Luke Shaw. Yeah, I have as well. Mm, yeah, I. Uh, I think there's some honourable mentions, but Luke Shaw is the one, isn't he? Yeah, he's having a season that I suppose is a bit overdue, but I did think he was. He, he did seem capable of this sort of season when when United signed him. Obviously, he's tailed off, tailed off a little bit for a variety of reasons, but he's having a good year. Mm. Uh, so, centre-halves, um, go for two. Well, so, yeah, my, my, my two, again, not really overthinking it. I've gone for Stones and Diaz. Yeah, same, yeah. I think, uh, yeah, Diaz has had a, you know... Not, not, not. Obviously, we're not saying he's as good, but just in terms of impact, he's had like a Van Dyke kind of impact on City's defense. And then Stones is just, you know, the resur- resurrection. You know, he looks like a completely different player. Looks, you know, to to come in that team and keep the likes of Laporte completely out the picture. You know, they bought Aki and Aki can't get a look in either. I think uh, Stones looks looks really good again. Yeah, funnily enough, as well, he's similar to Shaw in terms of. He's having a season that you knew he was capable of when uh, when he was signed. So, uh, yeah. no fair play to him because I, I do like Stones as a player. I think he's mm. he's 
capable of being really good. I think he was getting touted as like the next, like like Manchester City's version of PK when, when he uh, moved to City as Pep Guardiola was appointed. So I don't think he's quite that level, but he's uh, he's having a good season. You know, fair play. Yeah, yeah, he is. So you're right back. Might have this, a bit I, of. Yeah, this this was tough. This was tough. Yeah. This one. Uh, so I've opted to go with Cancelo. Um, yeah, have you? Have you? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm appeased by that decision actually. Um, just because I think I basically my headache with it, I don't know if it was the same for you, Josh, was it was twofold, I guess. One was he, he plays different positions sometimes, doesn't he? Um, but as most of his mates have come as a, as a right back. But the other issue I had was I was trying to work out in, on, on when I've watched him, uh, if I, if I felt like he'd been so good as a player. Or he'd been a beneficiary of the system City were playing, you know, with him coming as the extra midfielder. But when I've actually moulded over, as I said, I you know delayed recording the show today. Think about it. Uh, I think it's it. He deserves the credit. Yeah, I think he's been a, a a bit of a transformational player this season, specifically on the way City have developed. You know, this whole strikerless system and stuff. He's been really central to it. I think Pep Pep would have found it a bit trickier. To, to play in such a way without a player as unique as Cancelo. Um, offered a lot in the attack and on the ball. He, he does not look out of place whatsoever in central midfield. Um, so I didn't, I didn't actually think about that one for too long. I think there weren't too many competitors for him. I think Soufal is, is an honourable mm. mention. He's had a great season, you know, bargain. Mm. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I think, it's, I think he's on his own, really. I, I do think Trent has had a strong second half of the campaign. But mm. early on, just I think it, early on's put him out of it for me. Yeah, yeah. I think what happened with him was, as you said, he, uh, you know, no one wanted to get on his back too much because he he seemed to get a lot of flack around February after the, the he didn't get called up. But you know, if you if we're being brutally honest, if you remember the first half of the season, he wasn't great, and that's kind of why it all let, played out the way it did. So your two centre mids. Yeah, okay. Um, so the the midfield was really tough, to be honest with you. Um, I've ended up going for two plays that I actually think are, are, are better engaging higher up the pitch, but it's the only place I could get them in. Um, so I've gone Gundogan and Kante. Okay. <laughs> I've gone Gundogan. Gundogan. Uh, but yeah. the, the other player I found out. I found hard to get to get a partner for Gundogan because of the, mm. the 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 picks really. Like I've, I, I felt like Declan Rice should be in there. I didn't put him in, but I felt no. like he's had a, he's had a great season, Declan Rice. Um, so I haven't actually picked between these two players. Um, it's it, it's basically take your pick out of De Bruyne and Mason Mount. That that they were my two mm. um, to partner Gundogan. I think. De Bruyne has had better seasons, but he's still been ridiculous to the point that you you shouldn't really look beyond him too much. And I think Mason Mount, he's really went up in my estimations this season. Um, he's he's well better than the player I thought he was initially. Chelsea have rotated a lot this season, and he's been a mainstay through Lampard, through Tuchel, Southgate even. So he, he he is a really really good. He's, he, what he's going to be when he's twenty five, twenty six, he he could easily be 
Chelsea's next Lampard. You know, he, he, he's that good, I think. Um, mm. So I, I found it hard to, to exclude him. So Gundogan and Kevin De Bruyne slash Mason Mount are my midfield too. Very offensive, mm. but, you know, we're not doing tactical systems, are we? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so should, should I go with my... My uh, number ten, you number 10. Of, yeah, like me attacking mid. So this this one was really hard because my two choices were pretty obvious. Uh, pushing De Bruyne into there or Bruno, and uh, as we're talking, I haven't quite decided. I, I actually think this is gonna go be controversial, but I think I'm gonna go with De Bruyne. Um, you touched on it already. I know, I know, I know, but I just. <laughs> If you if you offered me De Bruyne or Bruno, I will take De Bruyne. He's my that's my preference. Uh, and I, I like Bruno. Show. But, yeah, that, that that's a fair show. But the season Bruno's had and the, the impact he has on just United's ability to win is just insane. Like if you look I, at him play, he's not he's not particularly quick. He's not strong. Uh, he's not like a dribbling type. He doesn't seem to have too many massive massive strengths to his game he's just really really quick in the head and output merchant naturally um and as i said he just does loads of stuff that really impact winning and he's been decisive for united i'm not sure how many points worse off would be without him this season but it'd be a fair amount so i agree with everything you just said the only thing that i think about is you know it's not a new argument but you take all the set pieces, out, all the penalties, and you're still looking at a really good player, but I'm not sure if you're looking at the same output slash um, influence on the side. Um, whereas De Bruyne, for me, although he also benefits from from you know set pieces and he was on penalties, don't know if he is on them anymore. I just feel like he's got a little bit more that he can do in open play. Um, and for that reason, as I said, if it, if someone said you can only have one of them in that in, in this setup, I'm going to put the Bruyne in there. Okay, my number ten was Bruno. Anyway, mm. so bit of difference for all the reasons stated. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, who've you got on your left? On I'm the glad left you went wing. the left. Yeah. <laughs> so really, you uh, you know the way you were talking about Mason Mount a lot there. Um, yeah. I would I would have been told Mount, Mount was a consideration for me on the left because obviously he's been he's gone gone up there so on, on occasions I think he plays really well I agree with everything you've said about him. Uh, Foden was also another one for me consideration because you know he's he's great but I think I've gone with a play that a lot of people have forgotten about because he's been out for like two months but uh, I've put I, I'd put Grealish up out there Jack Grealish. Yeah, he's my pick uh, as well. You know, oh, okay. So I, I absolutely couldn't look beyond them. He's had a great season. Were you surprised he was overlooked by Neville and Carragher a little bit? Yeah, and don't get me wrong, I'm a, a massive fan of the pair of them, but that's definitely hundred percent recency bias. Um, mm. Because despite the fact he's missed two months, he's still played about I think it's about six hundred more minutes than Foden. So mm. it's not like he hasn't played enough to count. He's just been injured for the past month or two and up until that injury you know we Aston Villa were doing really well I can't remember where they were in the table they'd maybe just suffered from a little bit of a rocking form but he was largely responsible for carrying a lot of their attack and yeah he was 
up there with the best players in the league, to be honest. Yeah, he's just the tar- he's literally the target of everything attacking wise, isn't he? Like every attack and play is is using him as the key cog. Uh, metrics back that up as well. And it was no no kind of surprise that once he was out the side, the team fell off a cliff a little bit. Um, I think they've steadied the ship a little bit, but they're still not the same. So, yeah, I'm surprised he got overlooked. Uh, so, like yourself, he's my left attacker. Yeah, I'm just going to find something here just to put a bit of perspective on how influential Grealish has been. Um, yeah, so Why? in terms of... Come on. In terms of... I know this is a specific quality, but in terms of carries into the penalty box, just simply carrying the ball into the penalty box, Grealish is still top in the whole of Europe with 75, despite the fact he's been out for two months. Second mm. is Mbappe on 64, then Rashford, 58, Sterling, 56. So his ability to specifically get Villa into really valuable areas is uh, right up there. Um, Unrivaled, you could say. Yeah, and then you put in the fact of how you know how creative he is, I think, is, and he doesn't, he doesn't actually take Set pieces really, you know, either he doesn't say corners and like that. Grealish, well, not mm. that, not not many anyway. Um, and I think he's last time I checked, I think he's top of the league for key passes per 90, just above the Bruyne. Um, without taking set pieces, you know, he's incredible player, yeah, um, yeah, all the above, yeah, yeah. So, go to the right, the right mm. side. Ah, uh, this is this is a really tough one. This, uh, probably my toughest position and I've opted to go for someone a little bit less obvious but I think he's been when he's played he's been kind of the probably the best attack on that side of the pitch in the Premier League I've gone for Mares. okay um, yeah the only issue is he hasn't he didn't play 2000 minutes he played about 1900 um, but I think when he's played he's been He's really stepped up this year. He's been probably one of City's best attackers. So, on that basis, I'll go Mahrez. Yeah, he was considered by me. I did, he did cross my mind. Just out of curiosity, um, what put you off? Um, I think what put me off was just all the players and what they've mm. done for their respective teams compared to what Mahrez has done for City. I think Mahrez has been good and stuff, but yeah, uh, other players I think have offered I've been more, had more of an impact, let's say, maybe. Um, so, I was torn between two for this one. Uh, I haven't picked. I haven't really picked. <laughs> I, I, I'm leaning slightly towards Son Heung-min. Mm. Uh, again, he's one who seems to be forgotten about a little bit because he's had a slightly quieter the last few weeks, although he's picked it up again really recently. But he's been really, really good this season, son. Um, and I think obviously there'll be there'll be listeners now screaming, Mo Salah. Mm, <laughs> uh, I know why. That. Yeah, I know why. And he was my other consideration. But the reason I haven't picked Salah is because, despite the fact that he's carried Liverpool's attack, and he's been by far and away Liverpool's best player. Um. This season, he's retained his level from before and stuff. He still hasn't been that amazing, really, when you look at other players in the league. So, put it this way, 
a really easy metric to, to use to to capture this is just goals plus assists minus penalties per 90. And for that metric, so you take Salah's pens away, plus his goals and assists per 90 together. He's 16th in the league with an average of 0.6. Well, he's, I suppose he's, he's joint 14th then, I suppose, yeah, because the two players above him have got exactly the same average as him. Mm. He averages about the same number of goals and assists per 90, excluding penalties, as Harvey Barnes and James Madison. And above him, you've got Sterling, even though he's had a really bad campaign, I think, or a quiet yeah, yeah. campaign by his standards. Mm. Rashford's above him, Mahrez is above him, De Bruyne's above him, Bamford's above him, Grealish, Foden, Mikel Antonio. And then in fifth place, you've got Son, with an average of 0.82 per 90 compared to Salah's 0.6. Um, and in terms of goals for the season as well, again, excluding penalties, Son has scored 16, Salah scored 14. And Son's played in a team that's just generally been a lot less attacking, you know, a lot less dominance. They've had a change in manager. And he's overperformed on the finishing side as well, which is something that tends to fluctuate. But I do think he's top of the league for his finishing in terms of converting the shots into goals. Mm. I think he's overperformed by about eight goals or something, is he? Um, uh, I have, you know what? Yeah. But that's um, that's why I've gone for, for for Son over Salah a little bit. Um, yeah, really tricky one. I, I wouldn't argue the point too much against either of them, but I just think Son has has been a bit more effective this season. He's, he's done a bit more. Mm. Son was on my, I mean, my list is is there. Mares, Son, and then bracket speak about Salah because I knew we would. Um, yeah, the the thing is with Salah as well, it's not just you know the numbers re- really reaffirm what we've I think witnessed watching him. He just hasn't looked as crisp I think in the in the penalty area. Is uh, he hasn't looked like he's got that same explosive power in terms of beating people. Uh, I think he has looked not yeah. You know, by a normal forward standards, he hasn't. But by his standards, he's looked a lot more wasteful than he has in previous years. Um, and you know, and as we just pointed out there, the, the the numbers back that up. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, Son really good case. I'll stick with Mares for the reasons stated. But you know, right wing was really tough. And then finally, your striker. Yeah, I think this is the easiest one of them all for me. Um, yeah. Kane. Yeah, I've gone Harry Kane myself. Yeah, I think he's. He's been again in an attack that hasn't really been that attacking. He's carried carried the team really, um, mm. double figures, goals and assists, and currently leading the way in the Premier League. Although he has benefited from a few pens, but uh, yeah, I think he's, I think he's, he's still got ridiculous. yeah, I think he's still got the the most non penalty goals in the in the division anyway. Even when, even when you take the penalties away, which no, I didn't know is that. impressive. Yeah, it's only I think it's him then Calvert Lewin one behind. Yeah. So we 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 were gonna do our signing of the season, manager of the season, player of the season, young player of the season, and under the radar signing of the season. But time is cutting us short. So what we'll do, Dave, we'll save them for next week. Mm. Um. So tune Good in job. next week if you want to find those out. And obviously, at the time, we will review 
United hopefully will beat them. We'll probably have a little touch on West Brom and we'll look ahead to Liverpool have got the following weekend. Um, so yeah, Dave, thanks for joining us, mate. Thanks very much, mate. Cheers, everyone. And we will be back next week. Uh, cheers. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.